Today, we are discussing ideological extremism and how to overcome it and kind of how ideology can sometimes come at the expense of charity and kindness. So last week, in the episode on judging actions, not people, we took a deep dive into the distinction between judging people versus judging actions. And if you haven't listened listened to that, I suggest doing that first and then coming back to this week's episode. Next week, we'll be rounding off this, this sort of trilogy of episodes with an exploration of the call to forgiveness. You actually like that? You must be complete scum. I hate you. Okay, so most people don't speak that way, but I'm absolutely convinced that they are thinking it on some level and probably not too far from the surface. Ideology in our polarized society today is our overriding hermeneutic, which is just a fancy word, a fancy way of saying our method or theory of interpretation. Charity and kindness are afterthoughts, if they're thoughts at all. To bring back a real sense of culture and authentic human flourishing, we have to find a way to restore charity as the intentional hermeneutic. Charity has to be the principal virtue, and kindness has to be our default approach. In order to accomplish the restoration of charity as the guiding force in a kinder society, we have to understand what charity and kindness are. Charity, above all else, is a virtue, uh, for us anyway. Kindness, rather than being only a virtue, is a fruit. It's the result of virtuous charitable living. So what we really need is something like strength training for our muscles. We need virtue training. And it'd be worth offering a quick working definition of what a virtue actually is. A virtue is a habitual and firm disposition to the good. As a habit, a virtue must be utilized. It cannot be enlarged with misuse or disuse. It must also be a firm disposition. So our choosing a virtuous action will not always be completely perfect and firm, but for an action to be virtuous, it must be firmly chosen. Really what this boils down to is this. You cannot fall into virtue. It's intentional. As a disposition, the firm habit has to become the routine course of our life. We're used to choosing a given virtue. And in so doing, a virtue becomes a well-trained muscle, so to speak. Now, charity is the first and the greatest virtue. Without this virtue, no other virtues would even be possible. Charity is the greatest virtue because it is the love of God through which all things came into being and continue to exist. Without the charity of the Almighty, we would cease to exist. As St. Paul says, and today I'm going to use the King James Version for this one. I usually use the English Standard Version. Anyway, this is Acts 17.28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. So charity, the charity of God, the very life of God, the love of God, is the ground of being. Without him, we have nothing. And so without charity, we have nothing. 
But love requires freedom. Freedom is necessary for real love. Charity is freely given or it's not charity at all. It cannot be compelled. Love which is forced is not love at all. At the risk of being a little crass, but in order to make a point, what do we call love that is forced? We call it rape. By virtue of charity, we freely choose the good as we understand it. And in the private order, we give it to others without expecting anything in return. We don't force it. We don't uh, coerce someone uh, to reciprocate. We simply offer love without expecting anything in return. We share our time and talent with others as a primary concern. We love those placed in our lives with full attention and care. And even in the public sphere, an entrepreneur practicing charity should seek to create value primarily and capture value secondarily. Much of virtue in this regard is right ordering of our lives, making sure our priorities are solid. And this really is very practical. It comes down to one person at a time. Freely chosen, the practice of the virtue of charity with one's time, talent, and treasure begins to affect the whole world. And of course, this begins one person at a time. Charity moves in the heart of the virtuous person to act in accord with reason and reality. And then that ripples out. Rippling out, charity begins to have an effect on all those in that person's sphere of influence. And this process of paying it forward, so to speak, then continues until the world is changed, if only slightly, for the better. Once we have this process of rippling charity in view, it's easy to see how kindness results as a fruit on this tree of charity. When individuals are generous with their time and ability, directed to human dignity and flourishing, the world becomes just a bit better. The rough edges of the human experience are softened by authentic love and care. Blossoming from these encounters is true, selfless kindness. Just as a caveat, everyone has bad days. Right? You have them, I have them, everybody has them. And perhaps we struggle to be charitable because of the struggles and sufferings in our lives. The purpose here is not to be perfect, but on the balance to improve with God's grace to, to be a bit better each day. Getting a bit better at practicing charity each day requires cooperation, requires cooperation with God's grace and with being in line with what's actually in reality around us. The objective moral order compels us to act in accord with reason and in line with reality. And when we do this in a way which seeks the good of the other, the common good, we strive for charity and we will bear kindness. Just as a side note, St. Augustine reminds us of the universality of the bad day, but gives us a reminder to live for the day. He says this, bad times, hard times, this is what people keep saying, but let us live well and times shall be good. We are the times, such as we are, such are the times. So how are we to act? Well, we're called to act with meekness. We're called to be meek as Jesus is meek. But meekness is not weakness. It is a strength. See, meekness is power under control. It's a moderation of anger and stress. It's also something that we need to work at. It's a fruit of virtue. As conversations 
that we might be having get tough, right? Because we're talking about ideologies here. So as conversations get tough, you can see where meekness is so vital. See, kindness and charity don't mean shying away from the tough issues of the day in order to not offend someone or hurt his or her feelings. We should never be malicious. We, we can never be malicious if we are to be virtuous. But we must never be intentionally hurtful if we are to be charitable. We have to keep in view that instructing the ignorant can be a great mercy. We just have to be prudent about when and where and who. St. Thomas Aquinas once said that the greatest kindness one can render to any man consists of leading him from error to truth. This gentle, kind leading, taking by the hand from error to truth is a path that is best born out of friendship. It's uncharitable to beat someone over the head with truth. Even if you're right, it does not matter if you do not have love. The most fruitful way to share and is to share in the life of another and walk with them. There's an old saying attributed to Billy Graham that says, he says this, build a bridge of trust to support the weight, the weight of truth. Build a bridge of trust to support the weight of truth. And certainly this is the case. You know, Billy Graham also said that you have to catch the fish before you can scale it and clean it, which is, you know, if we're talking about someone we're trying to, to woo over, uh, perhaps we don't talk about gutting them. Um, anyway, back to the topic at hand, back to ideology and its dangers. So why does ideology sometimes work against charity and kindness? Well, ideology can be comforting. It assures us that we have a good working framework from which to try to make sense of the world. If we didn't have a point of departure, the sheer volume of data in the world around us would crush us into submission. And in this way, ideology can be a comfort, but we also run the danger of becoming too entrenched and defensive. And when someone adheres to a set of principles or of ideas, they believe these ideas to be true, at least for the most part. And so for someone who is dogmatically affixed to only one point of view, the other perspectives are simply wrong. For someone who is unsure of their own position or adheres to a shaky viewpoint, another perspective might not only be seen as wrong to them, but it could be seen as catastrophic. A single stray thought runs the risk of crumbling the foundations of any ideology. So the response then becomes greater division, closed-mindedness, and hatred. Now, there's nothing wrong with having convictions, especially about philosophical and theological matters. I would argue that these conv convictions are necessary to a well-ordered life. Otherwise, what is the organizing principle? The danger that we have to avoid is a closed-mindedness which cannot separate human persons from the ideas they hold. And this is very similar to what we talked about last week with judging actions and not persons. We need to be able to separate the person from the ideas they hold. True charity accepts the person as they are, while also making the right distinctions in what that person might believe, and hopefully, God willing, drawing them deeper into the truth and closer to Jesus Christ. So, as usual, it all comes back to making the right distinctions. 
If someone holds an ideology which does actual violence to another, then that ideology needs to be corrected and brought in line with the with the good of society, the common good. And if an ideology goes against reason and reality, then it absolutely must be challenged and intellectually dismantled. This cannot, however, bleed over into hatred of another person. And this is where uh, kind of going back to that idea of judging actions, not people, is so important because people and the ideas they hold, it's worth saying again, are distinct, even if they're deeply held convictions and ideas. So on the other extreme, charity does not require having a mind which is far too open. The great English polymath G.K. Chesterton once wrote this. He said, quote, The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. See, if the mind's too open, the brain might slip right out of our head. Open-mindedness must be a willingness to engage with conflicting ideas without being hostile. Put another way, if you're certain that your viewpoint is right, that it's correct, then there's no need to be personally offended at the attack of that viewpoint, especially when it comes to uh, the faith, right? God is God. He can handle it. He can handle some questions. He can handle people pushing back and saying, well, I don't believe that. Us getting indignant when people are trying to talk to us is just a turnoff. So if your perspective is in accord with reality and reason, then you're on firm ground and you can stand confident in that, in humility, right? Because it's not you that is, that is correct, that's right, that has the truth. Uh, no, you've been given that gift and so accept it gratefully and humbly and you're sharing it with someone else. You're a beggar who has found bread and is giving it to other beggars. So if your perspective needs to be further clarified, then perhaps a good conversation or ex- exploration will bring you closer to the truth as well. Maybe you'll get better at expressing your perspective. Either way, unwarranted outrage has no place in human flourishing, either for the person that you're speaking to or for yourself. All right, so let's wrap it up. Rejecting harsh ideological divides allows us to be virtuous men and women striving for charity and bearing kindness. And undoubtedly, such an example will have an effect on those around us. Charity and kindness are far more attractive than hatred, harshness, and pride. Maybe charity isn't as flashy as uncharity. Kindness isn't as noticeable to our cynical modern world. But they must be the goal if society is to be restored and culture is to be revived. Thanks for joining us this week on Will Write Catholic. Next week, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. And so it kind of completes this trilogy of episodes of of judging actions, not persons, avoiding ideological extremism at the expense of charity and kindness. And then once we've made these really good distinctions, looking at our own lives and offering forgiveness to the people that need it, or asking for forgiveness if that's something the Lord is convicting us to do. So I hope that you'll join us next week. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please like it, review it, rate it, uh, whatever that system has. Uh, that'll help it be seen by more people. And if you haven't checked out the Substack, uh, please go to willwritecatholic.substack.com to subscribe there. And that way you'll never miss an episode. It'll come directly to your inbox if that's what you'd prefer.
And uh, as always, please uh, feel free to share this with your friends and family on your own social media if it's something that's blessed you. If you found it uh, to be helpful or thought-provoking in any way, please uh, share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever, whatever you've got. Um, I, that would mean a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Help me grow this platform. I really don't have much uh, to offer personally other than just trying to find good distinctions, uh, loving Jesus, hoping to be a saint and get to heaven and bring as many people with me as possible. That's my motivation. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen.